Good evening, everyone. I just want to welcome you all to episode 51 of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, The Pody. It is May 17th, 2019. Thank you all to those that are listening. I will be with you for the next, oh, I don't know, let's say an hour or so. I'm going to try my best to keep this within the hour, hour 15 range. I've got a lot to get to. I am beside myself, ladies and gentlemen. I am inconsolable right now. I am just, I don't have words to describe the way I am feeling. And I am so much so that I don't even feel like using the intro the usual intro that I use, that I have for this show because it's too uplifting, it's too upbeat, and that is not the theme of today's episode, all right? The theme of this week's episode is going to be the incompetence of New York sports, namely my New York friggin' Jets, the New York Knickerbockers, the New York Mets are having a disastrous couple of days, weeks, whatever, uh, Mickey Calloway is on his way out the door. I'm just waiting any moment to wake up and look at my phone to see that he has been fired. All right. But I, I was going to save this, but I can't. And the reason I'm coming to you this late in the evening, I'm usually try to get this show a little bit in a little bit earlier, ladies and gentlemen, but I had to go to the driving range to blow off a little bit of steam because, oh my God, am I fuming, okay? It is unfathomable for me to sit here and actually comprehend the incompetence that is running rampant in the New York Jets front office. Because if you live under a rock and you don't already know by now, a couple of days ago, I thought it was a joke when my buddy uh, messaged me saying that the New York Jets have fired Mike McCagden, their general manager, and as well, they also fired Heimerdinger, the VP of uh, player personnel. Oh my God, I want to rip my hair out. I want to strangle somebody. What in tarnation is going on? You mean to tell me that there are people getting paid to make these decisions on an operational level, Christopher Johnson? Okay, it starts with the owner. And although Christopher Johnson may not necessarily be the owner, he is now because his brother, Woody Johnson, didn't care enough about the New York Jets. So he went off to his little cozy job as the ambassador to the United Kingdom. Let me ask you folks a little something. Is there something wrong with our relations with the United Kingdom? No, I didn't think so. So what do you think Woody Johnson's fancy new title is? He's over there going to dinner parties, shaking a few hands, having a few cocktails, and eating some shrimp. I mean, unbelievable the fact that this man doesn't care enough about the team that he owns that he just shoved it off to his incompetent friggin' pathetic weasel of a brother who doesn't have a backbone in him. It doesn't know what he's doing. I'll start from the top. I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So Mike McCagnin and Heimerdinger, gone. Unreal. Unreal. This is on the same level. Now, mind you, okay, this is, this is how incompetent the New York Jets are. They got the brand new shiny toy, 
All the headlines are on the Giants. They draft Daniel Jones. They have no clue what they're doing, right? They're getting all the back pages. Everybody's making fun of Gettleman. Get rid of him. Everybody, right? Nobody is looking at the Jets. They're looking at the Jets, actually, and saying, wow, number three pick in the draft. They took Quinn and Williams, stud. They got Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley and Jamison Crowder in free agency. Steal, steal, steal. They had $100 mil in cap space to spend, and they did it, and they did a great job, and they got the best running back in the damn game, right? Yes, that's what everybody's been saying, and they did the draft. They did an all right job, but by most accounts, people are receptive to the draft, what they did, and they like some of these pieces. I like Blisson Austin, who they got in the later rounds, kid out of Rutgers, couple bad injuries, didn't really get to show off his stuff, good pick in the sixth round there, I wish they would have went out and gotten a cornerback, they could use some offensive line help, that's fine, they got Osemele as well in the trade with Oakland for a fifth rounder, great, everything's great up until a few days ago, they took the brand new shiny Lamborghini, or the Maserati, whatever your preference And they simply crashed it because that is their nature. They don't know how to do anything well. That's why they are the New York Jets and they haven't won a Super Bowl in damn near 60 years. Super Bowl three. Joe Namath. It is incomprehensible to think that I am a fan of this franchise when all they do is torture me. And so they get rid of Mike McCagden on the heels of this. Let me just recap this for you. In January, the Jets let Mike McCagnin, after they fired Todd Bowles, they fired their head coach and they decided, let's retain our general manager, even though he has not proven his worth and that he should have gone out the door with Todd Bowles. We've seen this story before. We've seen it, yet they're repeating history. It does not work. The New York Jets fired Mike Tannenbaum or John Idzik, and they kept Rex Ryan around, okay? Or, excuse me, it's been such a CF, uh, a cluster you-know-what, that I'm getting this all mixed up. They had Rex Ryan as their coach, and they hired uh, John Idzik, okay? And they decided, okay, they're going to fire John Idzik, and then they retained Rex Ryan as their coach, and then... They bring in the GM, and it's just not good. You need to bring in a GM who then picks his own coach because this doesn't work. So basically, in January, Mike McCagnin, he helps lead this franchise on their coaching search, which ultimately lands them on Adam Gase, recently fired Dolphins head coach because apparently Peyton Manning picked up the phone and he he made a phone call to none other than Christopher Johnson, owner of the New York Jets. Very unfortunate. And he said, this is the guy, take him. Okay, Jets took him. In March, they let McCagnin spend, like I said, $100 million in free agency. And three weeks, which he did not do a bad job, mind you. And three weeks ago, just three weeks ago, we had the NFL draft, the 2019 draft, and they let McCagden make six picks in this draft and just two days ago they fire him they fire him if you were gonna fire him why did you not do it when they fired Todd Bowles like everybody was saying we saw this writing on the wall and I'll tell you why because they let the killer into the building they unlocked the front door and they let him walk right in 
McCagnan did anyway, shame on him. Although I don't necessarily believe that McCagnan had much say in this coaching search. But Christopher Johnson, shame on you. Okay, because Adam Gase is clearly a nut job of a head coach. And I don't necessarily hate that. I wanted a polar opposite of Todd Bowles, 100%. I don't need the guy standing there on the sideline at the head coach every damn play with the same expression when they're losing 30 nothing or winning 59-10, to okay? So I'm okay with Gase in that respect. But McCagnin, they bring him in, okay? He Cersei Lannisters his way in, Gase, probably says every right thing that he has to, gets in there and realizes, oh my God, what is going on here? I can have all the power that I want. All right. He's almost looking at this like Jason Kidd when he was with the Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks when he was head coach and then he just kept wanting more power and more power and more power. And the thing that blows this even more so out of the water that is the icing on the cake is that they fire McCagnin, and guess who they name as his replacement as interim general manager? It's not other than head coach Adam Gase, who's been here for all of five minutes. You cannot make this up. All right, so Gase, Cersei Lannister's his way in here, for y'all you Game of Thrones fans. It's a marriage that he did not want, okay? It's an arranged marriage between he and McCagnin. Does not want, but plays along for the beginning, for the ride, right along at the beginning, and then realizes, I've had enough, I want this guy gone. And then he goes right to Christopher Johnson, because that's the chain of command, that's the hierarchy with this screwed up organization, it just doesn't work. You have the head coach who should be going to his general manager, that should be his direct boss. That should be the hierarchy, but no, with the New York Jets, because they're so brilliant, they each GM and head coach independently of each other, they report to the owner, who is Christopher Johnson, who does not have a damn football bone in his body, who knows zip zilch nada about football. I know I could do a better job than he could of running this organization, and that is an absolute fact. I would run this team. I'll be the GM for free, okay? And I'll bring this damn team a freaking championship in the next five years. It's the incompetence day in and day out with this team, which is why they're one of the bottom feeders, and right now they are, in fact, a laughingstock of this NFL season. And it's going to be a long time coming if they can't dig out of this rut and get it figured out. I thought it was bad to be a Knicks fan. And I was prepared to laugh my ass off at the incompetence that is the New York Knicks tanking, getting a 14% chance to win the draft lottery, and then getting the third pick. I was going to laugh at them. But now I sympathize. Because I think it's worse to be a Jets fan right now. And it still hurts, and it was two days ago. And why am I fuming even more so right now? Because just as I sat in this chair, well, about an hour and a half ago or so, I come to find out, as I'm driving in the car back home, trying to unwind and get all the anger out, my blood starts boiling even more because they're talking about on the radio about how it is now a possibility for Adam Gase 
to trade Le'Veon Bell because guess what? That was part of the reason that McCagnan's gone. Gase had a problem with the amount of money that McCagnan spent on C.J. Mosley and namely Le'Veon Bell. He does not believe in paying a running back that much money that Bell got. And not only that, Bell was took to Twitter. He had words to say about this. He says he doesn't believe any of the rumors and he doesn't believe things he hears and he's here to just win games and he said all the right things. Great. Adam Gase, about a week ago, these reports started coming out that there's rifts and McCagnan and him are not getting along and they've been yelling in meetings, yada, yada. And Gase comes to the media right to our faces and he lies. He looks as dead with those googly eyes and he lies and he says, I'm annoyed. He actually says that I'm annoyed that this is happening, that these rumors are out there because nothing is the, is amiss. There is no problems between me and McCagney. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. How are we going to believe a damn thing you ever say again? Why take to the podium ever again? We don't, we're not going to believe a single thing you say ever. So, hours, like two hours after this all goes down two nights ago on Wednesday, McCagney is fresh out the door. Adam Gase, GM, puts on his GM hat for a quick five minutes, makes a call up to Kansas City and Andy Reid, and says, here, you want, you want Darren Lee, our former, former first-round pick, 20th pick overall, I believe. You want him for a sixth-round pick? Yeah, okay, we'll, ta- we'll, we'll, we'll take him off your hands for a sixth-round pick. We'll, yeah, we'll gladly accept the sixth-round pick for a guy who just came off his best season, although very underwhelming for a first-rounder out of Ohio State, of course. But come on, come on, shame on the New York Jets right now. They're the laughing stock of the National Football League. It's an absurdity. It's blasphemous, as Stephen A. Smith would say. I cannot believe the incompetence. I cannot stress that enough. So he trades Darren Lee hours after McCagnin's out the door. And guess what? That's like a big F you to McCagnin because apparently McCagnin didn't want to trade him for anything less than a fifth rounder and the Chiefs weren't going to budge on a fifth rounder. So he's like, I, I hate him that much. I hate him that much. I'm going to go undermine him and just give him away to the Chiefs for a sixth round pick. It's a joke, man. An absolute joke. And we all, as New York Jet fans, we had high hopes this year. How this is going to blow up in their faces. This is going to blow up. All the free agent acquisitions, the draft, everything was going according to plan. It was working out. The rebuild, Sam Darnold in his second year. And now it's going to start to crack and crumble to absolute pieces. Because Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase, I'm sorry, they're not going to get along right now. Because no matter what, What they say publicly, they both clearly hate each other. And it's not a great start for Adam Gase, but my goodness, my goodness, he knows what he's doing clearly. He just came into this franchise as a head coach that I believe is 23 and like 25 in his career, totally underwhelming, has one playoff appearance and it was a loss. His claim to fame is that crazy uh, lateral trick play at the end of the Patriots game in December when Rob Gronkowski couldn't catch Kenyon Drake and they went on a walk-off. That's his claim to fame, really. Okay, and he, he was offense coordinator for Peyton Manning in Denver when he set record numbers. Record-setting numbers, excuse me. But otherwise, the fact that he comes in here and he's acting like he's Bill Parcells and the New York football Jets are saying... You know what? 
I think you are the next Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick. You know what? We're going to give you all the power. You think Mike McCagnan sucks at his job? You know what? We believe you. You're the man. We're going to fire McCagnan and we're going to give you the GM position. I, I, I cannot believe what I have witnessed over the past 48 hours. And now this is icing on the cake that there's rumors that he could possibly turn around and trade Le'Veon Bell, who at this present moment in time is your best player. The best player on this team is Le'Veon Bell, hands down. It's not even close. We don't know what Sam Darnold's going to be just yet. But Le'Veon Bell is the best damn running back in the NFL. And you just got him in free agency. Who cares how much you spent on him? You still got primo guys in free agency. And you had $100 million to spend. Get over it, Gase. I'm sick and tired of this. And I really don't have a problem with what Gase did. Because the Jets allowed it. And I said it before. I want a head coach that's a bit of a nut. Because aren't they all the good ones anyway? Don't they all want a little bit of control and want to say and what gets done and what doesn't? So that part is fine, but wow, did he bamboozle this franchise and it makes Christopher Johnson look like an absolute loser that doesn't have a clue what he is doing. Go back to making some, some baby powder and lotion and shampoo that doesn't burn your eyes. That's all you know how to do. You don't know how to run this organization. You don't deserve to run this organization. Don't even talk to me, Christopher Johnson. If he called me right now, I wouldn't even answer the goddamn phone. That's how much I hate him right now for what he has done. My God, I need a chill pill. I feel like I need a break right now. Whew. That was a lot to chew. And that was a lot to handle. But that's how I feel right now. And so help me God, I don't know what I would do if for some reason, somehow, some way, the New York Jets and Adam Gase trade Le'Veon Bell. I swear to God, I would lose it. I would absolutely lose it. I think I would show up to MetLife Stadium the very next day and I would be demanding to speak with somebody in that organization that knows what the hell is going on that can rationalize trading Le'Veon Bell. Because if they trade Le'Veon Bell now, they would be setting this franchise back for the rest of my years on this earth. Because if they trade Le'Veon Bell, there's no hope. There is no chance that I will ever witness a Super Bowl championship in my lifetime. And that is unthinkable to me because I'm only, I'm going to be 27 in a few days to think that I'd have to suffer through possibly 40, 50, 60 years if I'm lucky, 70 years with zero championships. The first 12 10, 12 years of my life. I don't know what the hell's going on in the world. I, I, that's when I'm just starting to get into football. At least the, the real, really get into it when you're like, you know, 13, 14, 15, around that time. So really, it's only been about 12, 13 years, maybe a little bit more, that I've actually been a diehard Jets fan, know what's actually going on, and had to sit through this misery of two AFC title games where they were oh so close but just couldn't get it done. The god darn butt fumble. All of it. 
it's an absolute travesty to have to root for this team. And it only gets worse when you are a Knicks fan and a Mets fan. Granted, nothing, I'm sorry, nothing is even close to the equivalent of what the New York Jets are doing or have been doing for the better part of 50 damn years. Let's move on with the program, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I'm done with my rant. We'll get back into it a little bit later. But for now, let's talk about basketball. Let's totally switch it over. I'm not even, I'm too angry. I don't even want to get into the Knicks right now. I'll get into that a little bit later. I'll talk about the, I'll recap the entire draft lottery. But right now I want to start with the Los Angeles Lakers. They finally, early this week or over the weekend, they found their new head coach. And it was, in fact, Frank Vogel. All right. So Frank Vogel, it is a three-year deal worth $5 per year. And we all know Vogel's track record. He's not a flashy signing, but he is the safe bet right now. And they added Jason Kidd as their top assistant. Jason Kidd, a former head coach. Okay, and the reason that this all makes sense is because, well, Ty Lue was asking for a little more years and more money, and he didn't want his coaching staff hired for him he wanted to pick that but here I want to play what Stephen A had to say because um he made a lot of sense with um this he he went on to talk about why this made sense and I'm trying to find it I don't think I have the soundbite here crap um Okay, give me one second to try to find that. So basically, we all know Frank Vogel, right? He was head coach most recently with the Orlando Magic. He was fired last year, just two years into a four-year and, what was it, $22 million contract. Okay, so then he he was with the Pacers previously before that as well, and... What it comes down to is he's not a terrible coach, but he hasn't had he hasn't had too much success. Yes, he was with the Pacers. He went to a couple of Eastern Conference Finals, and he also um, he also won four Coach of the Month awards with the Pacers. But again, he's not really that flashy guy. He's not really the guy that you. Um, that you look at as the guy that the Lakers necessarily wanted. And I cannot believe that I lost this, but I'm going to try to bring it back for you guys because I really wanted to uh, play this soundbite. So let me just real quick try to find it. Um, this is going to be a mess. But the uh, Stephen A., he talks about this whole thing, and it, it makes a whole lot of sense as to why the, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers hired the would-be head coach in Frank Vogel instead of, uh, here it is actually, let me, hold on one second, here we go, let me cue this up properly, um, okay, good, I have it ready, so, okay, so here is Stephen A. Smith on, on why they chose Frank Vogel and nobody else. Jason Kidd as your head coach, well, it's very, very simple, he has a, a relatively uncomfortable 
involved domestic violence. Obviously, it ended up in the divorce. Uh, there was a uh, driving while intoxicated charge uh, that he had to deal with as well. Not to mention the fact that whether it was in Brooklyn or Milwaukee, he gave the impression that he wanted more than just head coaching responsibilities. He wanted to run the show. And so as a result of that, it was a struggle for him to get back into the league in a head coaching spot. They knew they couldn't sell him to the public in Los Angeles. They went the route of Frank Vogel. Why? Because he accepted three years at $5 million per year as opposed to the three years, $6 million per year that Ty Lue was offered. So you're saving yourself $3 million there by choosing Frank Vogel, not to mention the fact if there's even a modicum of success that he does not have, Jason Kidd is in line to be the next head coach. He's already on your bench. Obviously, he can maturate himself to the situation, and that's the coach they wanted all along. Kurt Rambis wanted him as coach. Jeannie Buss and the rest of those staff, they wanted him as coach. They knew they couldn't sell him to the public, but for right now, Frank Vogel is the safe pick with Jason Kidd on his bench, and you can expect Jason Kidd to be the next head coach for the Los Angeles Lakers within two years. So, yeah, um, that is Stephen A. right there, and you hear him, that is the safe pick. But the guy they really wanted was Jason Kidd. And like he said, they could not sell him to the public right now with his current situation. The fact that he looks bad right now, Jason Kidd. He was fired from the Bucks. He, of course, had a DV with his ex-wife. Um, a lot of things there. So he's the guy they want, and he will be the head coach in due time. Gotta be weird for Frank Vogel. I mean, I he had to be desperate to take this job, knowing that the Los Angeles Lakers really don't want him. They want the guy sitting next to him. So that that we're gonna see and find out how that all pans out. But very interesting take there, and, and it makes it does make a lot of sense. And I've heard that Jason Kidd could be the next head coach of the Lakers way quicker than two years. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see what they do, if they can go out and maybe get Anthony Davis, although the owner of the Pelicans said something to the effect of, over my dead body will the Lakers get Anthony Davis. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what they do in, in free agency here. They got the fourth pick now. We'll see what goes on there. But, yeah, Frank Vogel, for the time being, new head coach of the Lakers. Okay, let's get him back in to some playoff action. And it feels like an eternity ago, but, yes, the Trailblazers, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Denver Nuggets played a Game 7 a while back, and uh, that was Sunday night. And C.J. McCollum, he dominated this game, 37 points, and led this team to victory, a slim 100-96 to victory. Take a listen to this. This is, essentially, this is the game winner uh, from C.J. McCollum. It would give them the three-point lead, and they would go on to win, but this, this is the type of night McCollum was having. Eight to shoot. McCollum a drive. Pushback jumper. It's good. CJ McCollum with 37. Shut up, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. Mind your business. McCollum, another big time basket. Yeah, um, CJ McCollum, that was from the left elbow. He fade away. He seemed to do that about three or four times there at the end of the game. Nuggets had no answer. And congratulations to the Trailblazers. They just went into Denver and they beat the best team at home this NBA regular season. The Nuggets were the had the best home record in the regular season of amongst all teams in the NBA, and they beat them. And they face up against the Warriors now, which I will get into. But the three-point shooting in that game, it was a low-scoring game once again. 
Those two teams had trouble scoring a couple times. Uh, nasty, nasty bad. Uh, I'm talking Blazers 4 of 26 and Nuggets 2 of 19. That's really the reason that the Nuggets lost this game was their 2 of 19 from 3. And um, the Blazers at one point were 1 for 17, and they overcame a big deficit. They were down a lot in this game, and they came back to win it. We had another Game 7, actually, on Sunday because we had two of them back-to-back Toronto and Philly. And you all know my disdain for Philly, and I was praying that Toronto would win this game, and it was very close back and forth. The shooting was even worse than in the first game, mind you. That's hard to believe. But lucky for Toronto, they had number 2 Kawhi Leonard on their side, and he came to play in the fourth quarter. This one was tightly contested until this happened. Kyle and Siakam screen for Leonard. Leonard has it out top. Leonard against Ben Simmons. Two seconds to go. Kawhi Leonard hangs. Fire shot up. It rims and it rims. And it went in. Toronto wins. 92 to 90. Are you kidding me? And I got to stop that real quick for one second. So Kawhi Leonard hits the shot heard round the world. It was unbelievable. He shoots game winner, first game winner in a game seven ever in playoff history. It was unreal. It bounced on the rim four times and then went in, daggered through the hearts of the Sixers. Joel Embiid was inconsolable. He was weeping his little eyes off. Don't really care. Hate the Sixers. But anyway... This was literally the shot heard around the world. Kawhi would finish with 41 points, obviously none bigger than that. Three-point shooting, again, what's with the three-point shooting? Must have been the nerves, the Game 7 nerves or something, but the Raptors went 7 for 30, and Philly was 9 for 27. But this shot was so unbelievable that let's take a listen to the sound bites from other countries. So this, in order, I believe it goes, uh, we just heard... The uh, Philly radio uh, call there on the Fanatic. Next up is China. I believe it then goes Argentina, uh, South Korea, and then Canada. It's quite it's quite funny and quite interesting, and it just gives a little more oomph to the magnitude of this shot. How crazy it was! Take a listen. Suspended animation, a pause, and then the ball went in. Kawhi Leonard has won the game. In second, Kawhi! So, uh, yeah, there you have it. It, it, That just shows you what a shot, what a game. 
and Toronto moves on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, next up, uh, real quick, the Cavs, they hired a new head coach as well. This was a total and utter shock and surprise, jaw-dropping, quite frankly. I could not believe it. My dad and I were texting back and forth, could not believe that John Beeline, Michigan University Wolverines basketball coach named head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Unreal. It's a five-year deal. Beeline, 66 years old. All right. So he's not too young. It's it's very interesting that they would go this route, but he has a proven track record. Okay. He's been at Michigan since 2007. He knows how to coach and he has coached at just about every single level imaginable from high school to Juco and division one, two, and three. He's coached them all. So he coached four four different college programs, Canisius, Richmond, West Virginia, and Michigan, and he took each and every single one to the NCAA tournament, like I said, proven track record, and he is also one of six coaches with multiple national title game appearances this decade, joining the likes of Roy Williams, Coach K, Jay Wright, John Calipari, and Celtics coach Brad Stevens, of course, from his Butler days. Not too shabby. Of course, Beeline will be replacing Larry Drew, who uh, was named the basically interim head coach after Ty Lue was fired just six games into the season. I haven't heard word on this yet, but apparently Beeline is interested in bringing uh, former Grizzlies head coach J.B. Bickerstaff to his uh, staff to be his top assistant. (coughs) Excuse me, I didn't realize this, but apparently Bickerstaff's father is a uh, uh, Bernie is a senior basketball advisor for the Cavs. So I guess that does make a lot of sense. All right, let's get to the Warriors and Blazers real quick. We all know game uh, game six of Warriors and Rockets. Durant hurt himself, strained um, a calf. Well, they have since ruled him out for four games now in this Western Conference Finals. So originally it was games one and two. Now they're saying, oh, it's more severe. It's going to be three and four as well. Man, quit playing. Quit playing, son. They knew, damn, they knew. They knew this was more severe than they were leading on. I knew there was no chance he was about to play anytime soon. Whether he's ready to go by the finals, that's that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother animal we have to figure out and we have to battle. But For now, it's at least games three and four that he will be out. And we'll get into that series in just a second. But real quick, let's talk about uh, the Phoenix Suns and Josh Jackson. Man, how hard is it for athletes to just stay out of friggin' trouble? Just stay out of trouble, man. Josh Jackson was arrested on a felony charge of escape uh, and a misdemeanor for non-violently resisting an officer's arrest. I mean, what a joke. How hard is it to just cooperate? So what happened? I will make this brief. He tried to enter a VIP section at some rolling loud music festival, I think in Florida. He ends up posting his $1,000 bond, whatever. But this is just the latest in a long line of incidences for Josh Jackson, who is, a lot of you are probably saying, who is Josh Jackson? I have no idea who's even on the Phoenix Suns. 
He's a former number four overall pick from 2017. He played one season at Kansas, and then he entered the NBA under orders to take anger management classes and abstain from alcohol and recreational drugs for one year. Oh, just that's all? Just one year? It gets worse. So this all stemmed basically from an incident when he was at Kansas in which, wait for it, he threatened a woman's basketball player with violence while he vandalized her vehicle in 2016. No idea why. Probably I. Probably. Who knows? Then, during his first season in Phoenix, he appeared to fire a pretend gun at a heckler, I guess with his finger, during a game, and he was fined, of course, uh, 35000 for what they deemed a menacing gesture, which I would agree. Finally, finally, it gets better. This is what I mean. How hard is it to just show up, do your job, and stay out of trouble? Finally, he was supposed to appear for a publicized autograph session at a Phoenix area grocery store in March. Uh, pulled a note, no call, no show, and he's fined $20,000 for that. And now the Phoenix Suns have a new head coach, of course, Monty Williams. Good luck with this problem, child, man. That's all I got to say. Because Jackson is skating on thin ice, and if you don't show him who's boss, he's going to be running loose, and he's going to be a problem. Okay, we talked about it. I talked about it. The Sixers, they just lost. They're out of the playoffs. A lot of speculation surrounding Brett Brown and his future. He got the support of ownership and the organization, so he will be back next season. Adrian Wojnarowski uh, tweeting that one out. He has compiled just a 178 and 314 record over six seasons. Yikes. But he brought the Sixers. They were the, the, they were the lowest of the low, the absolute laughing stock of the National Basketball Association. And now he's brought them up from the depths and made them a true contender. So he's under contract through the 2021-22 season. Okay. Now we could get into the NBA draft lottery. Well, the Knicks got the third pick, beating all odds with 6% chance to get the number one pick. Congratulations, New Orleans Pelicans. You are the draft lottery winners. Come on down. Yes, they had a 6% chance to win the draft lottery, and they did it. The Knicks, Cavs, and Suns all had a 14% chance. That did not go very well. The Knicks would end up in third. The Grizzlies uh, got second in this lottery. The fourth would be the um, fourth was uh, the Lakers, excuse me, who jumped way up there. They had a 2% chance, fourth worst odds, and they jump into fourth spot, which I was so angry because I had... I had a weird intuition type of thing, and I threw 10 bucks on the Lakers with their 2% chance, and it was a $10 bet to win 360 bucks. and they got my hopes up when they got into the top four, but then they finished fourth. And then the Cavs and the Suns really got screwed. They, fin- they go five, fifth and sixth, respectively. Then I think it was either the Bulls or the Hawks, in, in, one of them back-to-back, and then it just trickled down. I'm not even going to read the rest of them. I don't know it off the top of my head, but that's the big ones. Okay, so not a good look for, really, Zion, the fact that he's going to have to go to New Orleans, although I don't understand this notion that nobody wants to play in New Orleans. They have a fantastic, 
football team and people show up every every week to watch them play and ball out and they were a play away from going to the Super Bowl. I get it, it's different in basketball, but I just don't understand why Davis wants out so badly and why Zion doesn't want to go there apparently. Well, so here's the thought. So Zion, yes, there was much speculation after this draft that Zion didn't wanted to go to the Knicks and didn't want to go to New Orleans. And they've been talking about this yesterday and I believe on Wednesday as well that there's a possibility that Zion is going to go back to Duke because think about this for a second. He technically has not yet signed with an agent or agreed to a shoe deal. All right, so he technically could go back to Duke for another year and then when he comes back next year, yeah, the Knicks would be waiting in line. But that's not going to happen and I'll tell you why in a second. And here's why it's even worse for the Knicks because this was a this is a three-man draft. It's not a deep draft class this year. And the Knicks have the third pick. So one is going to be Zion to Pelicans, two Grizzlies, they'll obviously take probably Ja Morant. It's a 1-2 horse race here. Third is most likely R.J. Barrett. Well, if you're the Knicks, you try and you try and you try to, to pick up the phone and call David Griffin and the New Orleans Pelicans and say, I will give you the third pick so that you could keep Zion and team him with his running mate, R.J. Barrett. All I want in return is Anthony Davis. And then bing bang, boom. You try something like that, you don't even worry about the third pick because if Zion decides to go back to Duke, this becomes now a two-man draft and it's John Morant going one, RJ Barrett two, then who are the Knicks left with? All right? You don't even want to think about that. But that was all put to bed when Zion's stepfather went on a local New Orleans area sports talk radio show, um, 1045 ESPN New Orleans, something like that. And uh, he was asked this very question. So take a listen to what Lee Anderson, Zion's stepfather, had to say about that. There's been a lot of national stories about Zion maybe returning to school, doing this or that. How do y'all feel about potentially coming to the Crescent City? We're excited. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh, one thing that Zion has always been taught, you accept the things that you can't change, you change the things that you can change, and this is one of the things that he had nothing to do with. Uh, it's the process of the NBA, and certainly, you know, we're excited about the Crescent City down there in New Orleans, uh, and you said about returning to Duke, you know, there's been a lot of speculation, but that is not nothing that we have even considered. Yeah, nothing they've even considered, he said there at the end. There you have it. Zion is not going back to Duke. Number one, because there's a lot worse things than playing four and possibly five years in Crescent City, New Orleans, okay? I'm sorry. I've never been, but that city is lit, and it is dope, and hell, I don't think he's going to mind it too much when they're cutting him checks. Because if he goes back to Duke, he would stand to lose 10 mil. And then he would also not get that shoe contract at all. So I don't think he wants to risk that. There's, oh, take a year off and just work. and No, no. Zion is a gamer, okay? And he's not going to do that. And his stepfather just put it to bed. Moving right along. 
And yeah, like I said, I was prepared to go in on this draft and make fun of the Lakers for tank. It proves that there, uh, at least Adam Silver is not messing around. Tanking could be a thing of the past. The Knicks absolutely tanked for that whopping 14% chance at the number one pick. People said biggest draft in their history, biggest night of sports history for this franchise. And they yet again fail and only come away with the third pick. Tough break. But of course, it's I don't have the energy to, to, to yell about them after the news with the Jets. So let's move on and let's talk. Finally, we'll get into Steph versus Seth Curry in the Western Conference Finals. First time brothers are matching up in the Conference Finals. And gotta believe that's a problem for his parents, right? Of course. Who are they going to root for? Which kid do they root for? It's got to be tough. Of course, they're going to root for both, but they had a little fun with it. Parents flipped a coin and game one, mom wore a Portland jersey, although I think it was split in the back. It might have been a Warriors jersey and then dad wore Warriors stuff. And here the, the Warriors end up getting a big game one blowout, 116 to 94. Steph had 36. He was just on fire. Seth, not so much. Looked like the uh, the spotlight was just too big for him. One of like maybe seven, only three points. But take a listen to what Steph had to say afterwards. I think I caught myself a couple of times looking up at stands and my parents uh, who did the whole coin flip thing and they can't help themselves. So anytime either one of us did something good, they both were clapping. So they got to they got to fix themselves because I told my mom, like, who you who you with? Um, when I made a shot, I saw her stand up and cheer, but I saw all Portland uh, gear and it was just just weird. So. Um, it, it's probably more nerve-wracking for them um, in terms of just trying to get settled into what this series is going to mean. Yeah, absolutely. So you could see right there, it's it's got to be, it's weird for everybody, and it's probably worse for the parents, no doubt. So uh, let's fast forward real quick to last night's game. This, is, this was a fun one to watch. I kept saying that I was going to go to sleep at halftime, and I just couldn't because it was such a good basketball game. So the Portland Trailblazers came out ablaze. They were on fire. They were hitting from all cylinders, hitting threes and just clicking. And Seth Curry was starting to hit his shots and get hot late. And Steph was doing everything he could to keep them in it. But the threes were just killer and the offensive rebounds. And so Portland built a 15-point lead going into this game. And what happened was... I'm going into halftime thinking, all right, the Trailblazers are hitting a lot of shots. This is the Warriors we're talking about. Steph's going to come out in the second half. Clay, Draymond, Iggy, they're going to lock down on defense, and they're going to climb right back in this game, and they're going to win it. I could go to bed easy. But then the second half starts, and they start to make that comeback, and boom, next thing you know, they're tied. Next thing you know, they take a lead, but then Portland takes the lead back, and then they take the lead, and then it's tied, and it's back and forth. And then we head to the fourth quarter, and Seth Curry is locked in. He's hitting his shots, and he's playing pretty well, and so is Steph. They're going toe-to-toe, and he, got, he gets a few steals from his brother, his big brother, and Seth was really keeping Portland in this game and, and shooting them in this game, and it was fun, really, really fun to watch, I have to say. I mean, uh, between the two of them, I, I think they scored over 50 points, I, I think. Uh, let's see. 
Curry had uh, Seth Curry had 16 points. He was four for seven from three, and he led the, he led both sides with a plus 13. I mean, he was great at plus or minus. He was like he made the biggest impact for between both teams. And then you had Steph who went for 37. So yeah, I mean, they both went off, and it's got to be one of those proud moments. I mean, combined 53 points, the parents, man, the family, just how proud they must be of them. And Steph had a moment with his dad afterwards on the court. That was pretty cool. But yeah, they just were going back and forth. And Draymond Green, he was really, to me, the X factor late. He had 16 points, but he had 10 rebounds and seven assists. And some of those no-look, those passes down the stretch were just awesome to watch but the back and forth and and in the end Andre Iguodala he gets the steal on Damian Lillard up three in the final seconds and the Golden State Warriors survive they make the comeback and they get they take game two rather to to uh, build a two nothing series lead and just about end this series as they head back to Portland so, yeah, fun series. I look forward to all of it. And I got Warriors in, I was going to say six, but the more I watch it, I'm going to have to say five games. I'm going to say that I think Portland will get one of the next two. If I had to say, I'll give Portland the next one. I say they take game three. And um, then the they, they're going to lose the next two. So, yeah, there you have it. Okay, let's move on and talk about the other series on the Eastern Seaboard, and that's between the Bucks and the Toronto Raptors. Game one, I didn't get to see much of it because it was Wednesday, and that's Glorious House of Gaines uh, night. But, man, I saw the end, and it was close. It was, I believe, like a four-point game late. But, man, oh, man, this team is going to be hard to beat when this guy is going off. He led both teams, uh, excuse me, he led the Bucks in scoring. It was none other than Giannis Atenacumpo. Psych! No. Believe it or not, because I was just as shocked as anybody, but Brooke Lopez, yes, you heard that correctly. Brooke Lopez reigned in 29 points, 11 rebounds, 4 blocks to go along with 4 threes. He had a great game, and he stepped up in a huge way in game one. And man, oh man, if this is going to happen all series long, this is going to be a sweep. Because after scoring zero points in game five against the Celtics in the previous round, and just 27 points in the entire five games that took place in that series, he drops 29 points. It's not only a playoff career high for Brooke, but... It's the third most ever in a playoff game by a player who was scoreless in his previous playoff game. And I love Brook Lopez. He played for the Nets for most of his career, all-time leading scorer in Nets history. He also recently played for the Lakers, and they let him go so they could sign JaVale McGee. Let that just settle in for a minute. Let that just swish around in your brain. Because yes... That is the incompetence we're talking about when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers, who, by the way, I just saw, it's sort of breaking news, they will not hire anyone to replace Magic, so it looks like Rob Palenka is safe, and he will remain with the team as of now. 
But take a listen to freaking Brooke Lopez, man. Reigning in 29 points, huge four blocks, but even more so, four three-pointers. This guy's seven-foot-tall center. Here it is. Why did Lowry hesitate with Lopez on him the way he's been shooting? Oh, Green trying to go behind the back. He lost it. Scooped up by Middleton. Two on one. Gives to Lopez. He had to make a tough catch and put it down. Finish the play. Cody Porter. Lopez for three. Yes! He has been on fire in every phase of the game. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I didn't even uh, mention that. But Brooke Lopez had 13 points in the fourth quarter. If he doesn't do that, they lose this game. And Toronto gets the steal in game one. So huge, huge. And all I have to say is fear the deer, baby. Okay, last but not least on the NBA side of things, some sad news to pass along. But former NBA executive Rob Babcock died. He passed away. He is a uh, former Timberwolves and Raptors executive, uh, was just 66 years old. He died uh, after battling pancreatic cancer. So sad to hear that. He is best known, though, however, for a move that he made that was not so pretty. This would be his with his time in Toronto. He had worked two stints with the... Um, with the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. And in between, he was with the Raptors. Well, he's best known for trading Vince Carter for Alonzo Mourning, who would not report to the team. So then the Raptors had to buy out Mourning, and he joined the Heat. And obviously, we all know the rest is history. So, okay, that's your NBA action. Let's quickly move this along and talk baseball. So the Rays, Tyler Glasnow, is headed to the IL. He was the best pitcher in baseball, actually. He was having a dominant year. A- AL leader in ERA, uh, forearm str- uh, tightness or strain. Uh, last week, he Friday's game against the Yankees, he got pulled in the sixth with some discomfort, headed to the, e- uh, the IL, going to be out about four to six weeks. 1.86 ERA with six wins, 55 strikeouts, and only nine walks thus far this season. So... Uh, hopefully, they're hoping to get him back soon. As a Yankee fan, I'm hoping not so much because we're dealing with our own set of injuries. Speaking of, though, Yankees and Rays set to play each other. Uh, that game is on right now, actually. Let's see. Yeah, they're tied 1-1 in the bottom of the fourth. That's a big series again this weekend for first place. Yankees just a half game back. And real quick, back to that Toronto and Buck series. They play at 8.30 tonight. So um, by the time this gets uploaded, your that game's going to be long over, but just wanted to throw that out there. Edwin Jackson, ladies and gentlemen, this man just made history. He got traded to his 14th team. The A's traded him to the Blue Jays. 14 teams. It's a new Major League Baseball record for teams. 14 different teams in 16 years, 35 years old. Last year, he was serviceable, man. He he went to Oakland, made 17 starts, pitched to a 3.33 ERA, and up till this point this season, he was in the minors. He had not appeared in a major league game, but I heard he was set to start for the Blue Jays and, make, and set that record. I, I'm not quite sure if he did make that start yet, but he was scheduled to make it or is scheduled. So let me just double check my sources right here. 
Um, Edwin Jackson, has he pitched yet? Uh, yes, he did. He pitched, oh, he pitched a couple days ago. Surrendered six hits and three runs, just two earned, though, over five innings in a no decision Wednesday against San Francisco. See, that's the type of pitcher that Edwin Jackson is, okay? That's the type of numbers he will give you. He'll give up a few runs here. He won't strike out a lot of guys. He'll pitch to about a 3-5, maybe 4 ERA, but he's very serviceable, and that's why he's been able to stick around for 14 seasons, or six, uh, uh, for four, yeah, for four, uh, Scott, for 16 seasons on 14 different teams. Okay, the Astros, I mean, wow, they are on fire, and it's starting to scare me because they're hitting home runs at an incredible pace. George Springer especially, AL Player of the Week, he hit 519 with five homers, 10 RBIs, and 10 runs scored, did George Springer. Just ridiculous. And the Strohs as a team are easily at the top looking down. They are the only team ranked top five in ERA and runs scored. And I mean, they're hitting monster shots left and right every day. Bregman's another guy. He's on my fantasy team. So I know he's been raking, but just one thing I'll point out the balls, the baseballs are juiced this year, guys. Absolutely juiced. The balls are flying out of ballparks. Um, forget the era of steroids where all the players needed to juice up. No, they're juicing the balls now and making them, what, in China, I believe, or, or wherever they have you. That they're, they're, they're experimenting in the minors using these balls as well now, and the home runs are just ridiculous. It's a way to... Um, to kind of, uh, you know, appeal to the fan bases because baseball has become a boring sport, a lot of strikeouts, and people want to see mammoth moonshot home runs, and that's what they're starting to get now. So yeah, Astros at the top looking down. Uh, speaking of the Yankees, right? The Yankees, they did take two out of three from Tampa Bay last weekend. So um, like I said, they're playing them again this week, but they are still just a half game back of the Rays. Monday... Well, this week hasn't, it's been up and down for the Yankees. Monday, they sent two more players to the injured list. Jonathan Loisica, he's going to be out at least a month. And Miguel Andujar. Well, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, this is Miguel Andujar's second stint on the IL. He has the torn shoulder labrum from diving back into third base. Never seen anything like it in my entire life. It was the simplest dive back and just, it happens, I guess, these freak injuries. He came back off the IL, didn't get surgery or anything. Well, he was batting like, what, 088 with just one walk and nine strikeouts. So uh, Miguel Andujar, his season is officially over. He has announced that he has um, agreed to undergo surgery to replace that torn shoulder labrum. And yeah, that's it for his season. Thank God we've got Giovanni Urshela to fill in at third base. Thank God. But as for some good news, the Yankees did activate Aaron Hicks off the IL on Monday. They were rained out in Baltimore both Monday and Tuesday, so it was just a sloppy mess there. Um, so he, I don't even know if he made his debut yet. I've been so focused in the basketball and whatnot that I haven't even paid attention to Aaron Hicks. Uh, <clears throat> but I like to report the correct news, so let's show you guys. Okay, so Wednesday he went 0 for 4, and so far tonight 0 for 2. So Wednesday was his debut. That makes sense if they were rained out Monday and Tuesday. Okay, 
So enough about the Yankees. Let's talk about another team, the Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And I'm not talking about Mike Trout. They finally got back their rookie of the year, Shohei Otani. He will continue to DH. He's not going to pitch this season. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Um, He's been in the Angels lineup since May 7th, though. And since he's been back, man, the Halos, they've been 5-2 and two over their last seven at the time that I wrote this down. I don't know what they are since, but uh, Monday night, Otani got his first homer of the season. Take a listen. DH, three runs batted in, still looking for that first extra base hit. He put on a, a display at batting practice, putting it over the batter's eye several times, straightaway center field. That is skied oh. out toward left center field, hit well. Buxton moving back to the track. That is gone. Whoa. Oh, wow, is that a crush. Big fly, otani son is first of the year, and the Angels have taken the lead. Well, you bring practice and perfect swings in BP, brings it onto the game field. That is tattooed out of the ballpark. I'm looking at that baseball thing, and there's no way. That's, that's unreal. And I just thought of something as he hit that home run because it was an absolute shot. He really, he reminds me, I've been saying this for a while, his swing reminds me of Bryce Harper's a lot. And the finish upwards, it's almost like a golf swing. They they have a beautiful lefty swing, the both of them, although Bryce Harper not so much lately. He's been struggling. But back to the home run thing, I want to mention a couple guys' names before I forget as we're on the topic of baseball. But my goodness, I'm not just saying this because he's on my fantasy team. Ladies and gentlemen, I took him in the 22nd round because I'm such a friggin' genius and I should be a general manager of a ba- of a major sporting franchise because I would do big things. But Josh Bell has been a godsend for the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. Their cleanup hitter, he hits them as far as anybody. He has an absolute beautiful left-handed swing. Go ahead. He hit two home runs the other day or a couple days ago. Yeah, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. The one he hit the center field was a moonshot. They just turned and looked at it. And then he hit one a few days before that into the water, I want to say, in San Francisco. Um, Wow. I mean, this guy hits mom the shots and he gets zero recognition, but he's a top 10 baseball player fantasy wise right now. And he's just locked in. And I'm loving every minute of it. The other guy I want to mention, and I tweeted this out, not a home run hitter, but the opposite end, a pitcher. And that is Kyle Hendricks. He has been a huge, huge part of the Chicago Cubs run that they've been on right now. They've been on a tear. They're another team, one of the hottest in baseball right now. And they, I don't know if anybody remembers, but I think they're going to go on to make the playoffs this year. And they started horrifically to the season. They had a horrendous start to the season. And everyone was saying the season's already over. Nobody's made the playoffs when they started this poorly and yada, yada, yada. But where is it? Um, I just want to find this real quick. Yeah, so here it is. Nobody's talking about Kyle Hendricks, although I mentioned his 81-pitch complete game at the end of last week's episode as it was going down. But listen to Kyle Hendricks' last three starts. Complete game on 81 pitches, zero runs allowed. Next start, eight innings, no runs. And then on Tuesday, I believe, he went eight innings, one earned run. 
and nobody is talking about Kyle Hendricks. Why? Because he's a finesse guy, doesn't throw 100. He doesn't strike out 10, 12 guys. He's not Chris Sale. He's not, um, you know, Jacob deGrom. He's none of these overpowering stud pitchers. But I got to give him some love because, wow, what he's been doing has been unbelievable. So with that being said, talking about pitchers, let's bring this up real quick because Chris Sale, oh my goodness, he was outstanding, outstanding the other night, so much so that he set a new record. (laughs) He struck out 17 batters, did Chris Sale, and I was going to throw a drop in here, but I, I... Forgot. I've got a bunch anyway, so we don't really need to to throw one in there for that. But Tuesday night against the Rockies, man, everybody's watching the NBA draft uh, lottery, so nobody was paying attention to this game between the Red Sox and the Rockies. But uh, naturally, he was outstanding. Um, I mean, he struck the first. He struck out the first six batters of the game. I mean, that's the first two innings. That's ridiculous. And eight batters out of a possible nine through three innings. He became the first pitcher since Max Scherzer did so on May 11, 2016 to strike out 17 batters. And he's the first ever pitcher to strike out 17 batters in just seven innings. And you know what they did? I turned the game on and guess what they did? They decided to pull him after seven. I think he had around a hundred pitches or so. And they decided to take him out, but that's the, the world we live in now with, with pitchers. They try to be super duper cautious. Uh, he did make one mistake to, to Nolan Arenado. That was a two-run homer, but they won that game, and wow, he was awful. And he did say, um, either prior to that game or afterwards, he had been struggling early on in the season. We all know the Red Sox have been struggling. They are now, of course, one of the hottest teams in baseball again. I've mentioned three teams that are extremely hot. They're probably the three hottest teams in baseball. But he spoke out saying how embarrassed he was, that it was embarrassing for his family, how bad he's been pitching. And his last couple starts, absolutely unhittable stuff. Okay, uh, real quick. Again, I don't know why I have to keep stressing this, but athletes don't know how to stay out of trouble. It's a freaking joke. They're the dumbest people in the world. You give them a million dollars and they ruin their freaking lives. And that is the case for Dodgers pitcher Julio Urias. He was reportedly arrested on a domestic violence charge on Monday after police were called to the scene of an argument he was having with a woman. Uh, I don't know why they're saying a woman. Was it his girlfriend? Was it someone he knows? Well, I I don't know. This is weird. They, so they were having an argument in the parking lot of a shopping center in LA. At some point, he shoved the woman to the ground. Oh, yeah, gee, because there's no cameras anywhere in the uh, parking lot of the supermarket. Good. That was your real genius, man. You're going to get away with this one. So the woman told police there had been no physical contact between her and Urias during the argument. Police then arrested and booked him on a a simple misdemeanor domestic violence charge. He spent the night in jail. He was released on Tuesday. He posted the $20,000 bail, yada, yada, yada. But since the uh, MLB, as is customary, they put him on the seven-day administrative leave list. Okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he got the call up a few weeks ago. It's been a touch-and-go for him since he's been called up. Not really hitting great, but he had a nice night 
and made some history on Tuesday as well. Take a listen. Game average in interleague play, five and a half runs a game. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He would go on to hit a second home run in that game, I believe. But yeah, first home run for Vlad Guerrero Jr. Why is that significant? Because he becomes the youngest player in Blue Jays history to hit a home run at 20 years and 59 days, surpassing none other than Danny Ainge by just 18 days. Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge. Where, why does that name sound so familiar? I know that. Oh, that's right. Danny Ainge, the president of the Boston Celtics, who had himself a pretty damn good NBA career with that same Boston Celtics team. Yeah, that Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge, man, was some athlete. He was actually drafted by the Blue Jays, I believe in 1977, and made it to the majors just a couple years later, I think 79 or so. And he played in 86 games only. And had a, excuse me, had a 187 average. Okay. All right. He decided after that, that maybe he should go try basketball instead. And well, like I said, he went on to have a very successful career in the NBA and the rest is really history. So quite magnificent. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Great. That will do it for the, uh, baseball talk. We have a bunch of games going on right now. Of course, we're in the thick of things. And uh, the Mets. Okay, let's talk about the Mets real quick before I end this. That's what I forgot to talk about. The Mets have had a rough couple of weeks. Um, they're not doing great. They continue to really lose. And it's not looking good for Mickey Calloway. They're sitting two games under 500 right now. They went out, and while teams are getting younger, they got older. They went and grabbed Robinson Cano, who hasn't been doing well. Okay. Jeff McNeil, who's a hitting, been a hitting machine, he's now hurt. He has apparently he's had some um hem, some some like stomach surgeries or something weird, and it can mess him up every so often. So maybe he's not going to be out more than a couple days or so. Um, Jed Lowry, who they signed in the offseason, an aging what thirty four year old middle infielder, they signed him to a big deal. He has not been on the field yet. From what I hear, he hurt himself rehabbing, so now he's going to be out for a while. It's just, it seems like when things seem to just can't go much worse. They finally did call up uh, Carlos Gomez, though. He has some some experience there. Then you have, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, God, who's the reliever? I'm, I'm losing my mind. Oh, Familia, excuse me. He has not been the same. He keeps blowing game after game. You have Edwin Jackson, who's been screwing things over. Just been a mess for the Mets. And like I said earlier, I fully expect Mickey Calloway to be gone very, very shortly. Very shortly. So there you have it. And the Mets are playing the Marlins right now, I want to say. And wow, they're losing four to one to the Marlins. So this is it. Two out, if they lose two out of three to the Marlins, there I I firmly believe Mickey Callaway gets fired at the end of this weekend. So yeah, yikes. All right, that's it for our baseball segment. We're gonna wrap this thing up with football and some PGA Championship. All right, Doug Baldwin. Speculation was there. 
okay, it's a it's confirmed. He has decided to call it quits. He confirmed his retirement in a letter he penned to himself uh, on Twitter Sunday night. Basically, he was uh, revisiting some career lessons he learned and highlights. And yeah, that's it for Doug Baldwin. He underwent too many surgeries to recover from. Speaking of the Seahawks, they actually signed Geno Smith just a few days ago. This will be his fourth team in as many seasons. Uh, he appeared in five games for the Chargers last year. He completed just one pass. I, I know Geno all too well from the Jets, but he now will compete with Paxton Lynch to back up Russell Wilson. Yikes. The, the Seahawks better hope that Russell Wilson doesn't go down anytime soon because Paxton Lynch or Geno Smith. Uh, which one do you want? Uh, can I choose... The other guy, anybody but those two. Uh, JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, I speculated that his season was over. I actually thought the car accident neck injury was going to be worse and that he would need surgery. However, it appears he won't need surgery after all. After um, consulting with different doctors, he has decided to go with a non-surgical treatment. And Bruce Arians is hopeful that he will be able to play football in 2019. So that's very good. Um, and according to Tom Pelissario, Pelissero, excuse me, of the NFL Network, three independent doctors concluded that JPP's neck injury will heal on its own in about five to six months, if not sooner. So if that is correct, yes, we will see him back on the field this season. We all need to be thanking God and this judge. Whoever they are, I don't have their name, but this judge deserves an applause, so I will give it to you, judge, because what I'm talking about is the Robert Kraft massage video. The judge suppressed it. Yes, we will never see it. It won't come to the light of day because none of us want to see that nastiness. Um, Robert Kraft filed a motion to suppress the video evidence it, it, from his solicitation of prostitution. Okay, and it was granted on Monday. The state now has two one of two choices. They can dismiss all charges or appeal the uh, appeal the decision or take it to court. But so far, they have not a, really a leg to stand on, and they haven't cited any other evidence besides that surveillance video. It's a huge win for Robert Kraft, but most importantly, as I said before. It is an even bigger win for all of America that does not have to witness this video. Talk about another guy that retired, just 29 years old, uh, EJ Manuel, former first-round quarterback out of Florida State. He has decided to call it quits. This is weird. He just signed with the Chiefs this offseason, too. But, um, yeah, 16th overall pick back in 2013 by the Bills. That was the same year Geno Smith was drafted. In the second round, he quickly faded. And uh, I'm not sure if it's an injury that he sustained or not. Maybe just decided to call it quits. But yeah, he's gone. And then Kyle Rudolph, we all know he's been in contract uh, talks with the Vikings. He he has expressed his uh, opinion that he does want to stay in Minnesota, but they're at a stalemate. He's owed a lot of money. And the Vikings um, apparently have only $738,054 left in cap space. That was as of Monday. And Kyle Rudolph is entering the final year of a five-year deal. But he did say that 
he expressed his desire to stay in in Minnesota. He said, "My family, myself, we want to be here, and we're doing, we're going to do everything we can to be here." I don't know if that's if that's necessarily true because he also said that he is way too young and he refuses to take a pay cut just to stay with the team. So uh, apparently, you're not doing everything you can to stay. Go go somewhere else where you're wanted, man. Go to a warm city. Minnesota's too cold. And also, they don't want you. They drafted Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama in their second in the second round of the draft. The writing's right there on the wall. They're telling you, bye-bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. All right, and then this is more so the breaking news. This came out uh, yesterday. Patrick Peterson. Everybody loves Patrick Peterson. I be, uh, AJ Green or Julio Jones, somebody just came out recently and said he is the best cornerback in the NFL, the toughest one to face. Well, he's been suspended six games for violating the substance abuse policy on PEDs, and the whole world is shocked uh, about this because he's not really the guy that we all sense and see this happening to, but he did not try to sugarcoat it. He dropped his appeal. He was a bit frustrated that it came out yesterday. This has been in the workings for months. He knew his people knew the team knew everybody knew, but he was just a little disappointed that it came about. And the news was released last night while he was at a charity event or something of that nature. And he had to answer some questions on it. Just the timing kind of sucked for him, but the suspension. So the suspension is going to cost him 3.8 mil he is eligible to return October 14th. Sorry, Giants fans, because that's who they face that week. And a little bit about this, because he's been suspended, he is not eligible to make the Pro Bowl. Why is that significant? Because Patrick Peterson is one of just three players in NFL history to make the Pro Bowl in each of, their, each of his first eight seasons. Crazy. All right, that's it for NFL. I want to talk PGA Championship real quick, and I want to get an updated board on what's going on because Brooks Kepka has been absolutely dominating this thing. And unfortunately, I just saw it now, but it's totally unfortunate. Wowzer. Tiger Woods misses the cut, ladies and gentlemen. So after playing magnificently at the Masters, Tiger Woods will miss the cut at Beth Page Black in Long Island, and he will not compete for a chance to win the PGA Championship. Well, that's okay because he wasn't going to win anyway. Why is that? Because, my goodness gracious, Brooks Kepka is dominating. It's over. It's over. I went to the golf course before to, um, to hit some balls on the driving range, and I saw, I, I logged into DraftKings and I saw the odds on Kepka, you know, to bet him to, uh, to lead after the second round when he was already up four, stro- uh, five strokes. Okay. And I was going to take that bet all day long. I, I think it was like minus 120 or something, which not great or anything, but shit. I was going to throw a lot of money on that because I was like, it's, it's easy money. And at this point, the odds are getting worse, and I should have jumped on it for him to just outright win this. But for him to lose now would be a joke. He won this thing last year, and he's just been dominating. 
dominating, dominating, dominating. And as for Tiger, he had a shaky start yesterday. Two double bogeys. He was solid on the back, but plus two, two over par. And then today he was even, uh, or no, he was, I believe he was like one under. He was still at, uh, he was still at like two. He was at three and then he got to two and the projected cut was two. Now I don't even know what the hell happened, but you've got Jordan Spieth at five under and Adam Scott at five under, and then a bunch of guys at four under. It's a joke. I mean, they're not catching this guy, not catching him. Kepka shot a 63 and then a 65. This dude is all just cool, calm, and collected. Muscle head. He walks in. When it's a major, he's like, all right, I'll, I guess I'll turn it on now and I'll play better than everyone else. It's a, ridiculous. Uh, where did Tiger finish? I have to see this. He had to have finish, finished below three under. All right. Wow. Yep. He finished below. Oh, boy. So, wow. I am going a long ways to find Tiger. He shot a 72 and then a 73 today. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So yeah, Tiger misses the cut. Unbelievable. There was talk that he was sick on Wednesday and he was battling something because he didn't come out for his practice round, But and it's been a little cold there. Yeah, not looking good. He teased us. He won the one major, and now he's going to suck for another five years. I hope that's not the case. But anyway, this is Brooks Kepka. I'll be watching that all weekend long as we come across the shoot hour 21 mark. All right, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Let's talk uh, other news. Conor McGregor, he had the charges dropped in that case of the phone smashing in Miami. The prosecutors dropped all criminal charges against him. This was an incident, what, back in March, I think? Um, in which he was accused of stealing and destroying the phone of this guy, Ahmed Abdursk, um, who tried to approach him, take a photo. The victim, this guy, has stopped cooperating with prosecutors. Well, that's obvious why, because he also filed a civil suit against McGregor for $15,000, and that case was settled back in April for an undisclosed amount, which was probably significantly more than 15k and they agreed to uh for him to not take this any further on the criminal side of things all right and uh, is this the last yeah la- uh, last thing before uh we get into the on this date the big 10 man the bi- ugh, the money in collegiate athletics is ridiculous and the big 10 baby that's my conference Rutgers yeah the big 10 believe it or not they have now surpassed the SEC with a record $759 million in revenue for the 2018 year. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Yeah, ridiculous. And the athletes, of course, get $0 of that. The reasoning behind such a big jump, because you're thinking the SEC, how'd they surpass them? Well, the the real reason is the new TV deals for the conference. And I got to believe Rutgers plays a huge part in that. That's why they brought them into this conference. It's the New York market, that New York media, that New York TV. That's what they really wanted. And it probably helped catapult them with these TV deals. So for 2017, think about this. The Big Ten... Um, they brought in $512.9 million, meaning this was an increase year over year of $246 million. That's ridiculous. 
Um, so out of that $759 million, each Big Ten school receives about $54 million of that, the original Big Ten schools. So Maryland and Rutgers, who joined in 2014, they don't receive their full shares until the 2020-21 seasons or year. So there's that. And then to compare them with the SEC and even the Big 12, some of the other big conferences, the SEC distributed approximately... million to its 14 schools, which is just about 43.1 mil per school. And then the Big 12 recently disclosed earnings of 374 million for its 10 members this past year. So yeah, Big 10 is making significantly more money than these other conferences. So that'll do it. Okay, let's get to it on this date in sports. First off, it is May 17th, ladies and gentlemen. That can only mean one thing. It is my brother, Vinny Bag of Chips, birthday, so happy birthday to you. I believe he is, geez, what, 34? I don't know, whatever. Um, I just know it's his birthday, and I know to text him, so happy birthday to him. And also on this date, May 17th, 1993, Michael Jordan did a little something himself when he... I was one years not I was one years old, almost two years old, a couple days removed from being two years old. So I don't remember this, but May 17th, 1993, Michael Jordan hit a game-winning series clinching shot to sweep the Cavs and advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. Epic. You could look that up online if you'd like. I don't have it. I tried to, but I just I couldn't get a decent sound bite for it. So anyway. That, that's going to do it for this show. A little bit longer than I wanted to go, but considering all things aside with the rant and, and such, I believe that I did all right. And I did tweet this out there or retweet this, but probably the funniest thing I saw all week that you guys can go check out. It's absolutely hysterical. It is Stephen A. Smith in the car after the NBA draft lottery talking about the Knicks. He's in an Uber and he's trying to film himself pitch black, but he goes on an absolutely epic rant about the Knicks. It's hysterical. And I, that was me earlier on this show, but, um, okay. So we got the PGA championship this week. You've got NHL hockey. There was that controversial missed call on the hand pass the other night. Some crazy stuff. The Bruins last night, they swept the hurricanes. There's been a sweep in every single round of the Eastern of the East playoffs in the NHL there. It's been wacky and wild. So the Blues and the Sharks, they were the ones with the controversy in the previous game. It was just weird. Um San Jose leads this that series two to one. And they are uh, St. Louis is up two nothing right now in the first period. Um what else? You've got Toronto and uh la, 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 Toronto and the Bucks. They're underway. It's 14 to 9 midway through the first quarter in favor of the Bucks. You've got a lot going on this weekend. I know college softball uh playoffs, the regionals have started, I believe. You've got NCAA baseball if that if that's your jam, baseball, softball there, throwing that at you. Um there's really what else is going on? Uh Warriors, Trailblazers, obviously you've got the epic Game of Thrones series finale. Should be interesting. Overall, though, not thrilled with the final season. There's that petition to redo the season. Uh, I That's never going to happen, of course. But uh, what am I missing? Uh, baseball side of things, you've 
got the Rays and Yankees still tied up at one in the sixth. Uh, I don't, oh my God, I'm missing something. I know I am. Um, oh, well, I'll think of it later. You know what's going on. I just want to thank everybody once again for putting up with my antics. Episode 51, This Week in Sports. Let's hope the weekend is a little bit better than the week. I'm the Pody. Enjoy. I'll see you back here next Friday. Pody out.